What I learned from that was, you know, even failures don't have to define or destroy me. I can continue to learn and grow through that process. And I did learn and grow through that process. And one of the things I learned was the value of being able to have a support network and talk to people about what's working and what's not working and my fears and my strengths and my failures and just really have an open conversation with people. There was a huge value for me in that. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Keyes. So I've been doing a series on purpose, and interesting enough, today's guest, Rusty Gaylard, actually quit a job at Apple to start his own coaching business so that people could feel fulfilled. You know, there's so many people out there that really are kind of feeling uneasy about their life, not maybe fully engaged, not living on purpose. And of course, that is the focus of my latest book, The Quest for Purpose. But we have converted that into an entire e-course, The Quest for Purpose e-course. And my encouragement is, is if you're one of the 80 or 90% of the population, or you know somebody where you want to get clear about what's most important to you, where, where you want to end up, how you can feel Uh, more fulfilled for the majority of your life than that course is for you. So the quest for purpose uh, on our site, crgleader.com under online courses or the CRG Academy. As always, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. We're now rated one of the top 100 shows globally for personal professional development in business. How about that? Thank you very much for being great listeners. Pass this on, share it, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening on. So welcome to the show, and here's our guest, Rusty Gillard. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, With guests, we always have a backstory, we have a journey, and I'm very keen to learn about today's guest's story as he was working with one of the top 100 companies in the world and then quit to start his own coaching and development firm. And I said, well, why why do that? So uh, we'll find that out on today's episode. And by the way, the company that he used to work with was Apple. So uh, maybe some of you have heard of it before, possibly. Uh, just kidding, of course. So welcome to the show, Rusty Gillard. Rusty? Hey, Ken. Thanks for, thanks for having me here. Well, uh, Rusty, you've had quite a journey. And of course, the secrets of success, we really like to hear about people's backstory. And you're really helping individuals with their mindsets and and going to the next level and how do you know one up my life or whatever phrase we want to use today but before we get that what's the story about rusty so your journey where were you born and what were sort of some of the things that were happening to you growing up yeah thanks for asking about that ken um i grew up in minnesota i was born in minnesota and i grew up in a family where success was very much valued and success being really from the external standpoint. And I was fortunate that I was able to navigate my life for the most part with a lot of success. And that resulted in me going to Princeton University, starting taking my first job uh, with the best CEO in the country at that time, Jack Welch. I was working at General Electric. 
I love well, I can't say that I've had somebody else that's worked with Jack on the show before, so we can get into that here in a moment, but continue. Yeah, and just to be clear, I worked under Jack. I was certainly not working with him as my first job out of college. But I left there to go on to Stanford for an MBA and then ultimately ended up at Apple. And so, you know, by all accounts, I was living up to that premise or that, that value of success. And I was creating that kind of life and was able to do that. And really what broke that pattern for me was getting divorced. And it felt like really was the biggest failure I had encountered in my life up until that point. But mm. in addition to breaking the pattern of success, it broke my focus on it. And it really broke that spell, if you will, of making it the most important thing on my life and enabled me to make that turn that you talked about, which is to leave Apple and to go start my career as a coach. Mm, cool. Well, let's just back up a little bit and say, you know, growing up, you were around this family that focused on success. What's the story there with your parents and what were they doing? What were they teaching you? Well, you know, so my parents were born in, the, in their 40s and were pretty much par children of parents who lived through the Depression. And so they were, you know, they, they were hardworking and they were uh, really focused on stability and success. And my dad was very successful in his business career and he modeled that for us and was very much focused on academic achievements, progression at work, uh, you know, even, even sports successes. So it was just something that was very much important in our family and was emphasized as a part of really creating a good life. What was the business your dad was in? He was in marketing. He worked at General Mills in, uh, in Minnesota. Okay, so another small company. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when you were uh, now, do you have siblings and uh, at all? I have an older brother. And what's your relationship like with him? We have a good relationship. I'll say that as a, as a, as a kid in particular, I was quite competitive and I was competitive with him. And he was, I was very fortunate to have a very kind and sweet older brother because he could have made my life very difficult because I was kind of a pest, to be honest. <laughs> well, there we go. Hey, that's what older brothers are for. And being what I get that is uh, we'll just tolerate the younger brother along the way, or in my case, brothers. Uh, I love them, but yeah, as you say, we, we are playful with our sibs. Uh, now, when you left um, school and you went to work under Jack Welsh's or in his company, what were some of the things you learned there about life and what were some contributing factors to his success in that company that trickled down to you? Wow, what a great, what a great question. Um, you know, the, the, one of the first things I learned that I, that I took away from that time working at General Electric is I graduated as an engineering major from college, and most of my friends were going into consulting and banking, and I decided I was going to go become an engineer. And I took that job as an engineer, and what I found is that I loved studying engineering, but sitting in a cubicle by myself in front of a computer all day didn't feel like the kind of work that I wanted to do. And so I ultimately, one of the things I learned pretty quickly was as much as I enjoyed engineering and studying it, I didn't really like doing it as a career. And so I moved within GE, I moved to different parts of the organization, more towards operations, and then ultimately into their corporate audit staff, which is an internal consulting organization there. Mm. So that really was one of the key takeaways, not directly tied to Jack Welch, but a very personal one that, that impacted what I would do after that in my career. And what would you say to others that go through these things uh, around this? 
Well, you know, one of the one of the things that I I really like working with people who are you know, roughly in you know 30 to 45 is kind of my my target age range, and and the reason I I don't like to work with people younger than that, although I have on occasion, is I really believe there's a period of life in which you just need to get experience and you need to try things and you need to learn things. So for me, that was that's what that was. It was you know I'm going to take a job in engineering and see how I like it, and then I'm going to take a job in operations and in finance and try a number of things and see what I'm more drawn to. So I really believe you can't. It's it can be difficult to know what you really want to do without any experience. Hmm. Well, yeah, there, I guess there's no evidence about what you like or dislike in terms of a personal experience process. So I get that, and it's interesting how I remember way back in the tech boom in the 2000s where there was a CEO who was 26 and I said, oh my goodness, you are, you are so arrogant and uh, full of himself and of course his whole company imploded after that. But it was just a matter of not having the maturity uh, going forward. So I get that, I understand that. Not to speak ill of young people, my son's 25 and very successful, but uh, it's always about maturing together, right, mm-hmm. over time. Absolutely. When you think about uh, your move, now you mentioned Apple. However, one of uh, CRG's clients and as a publisher of psychological tools and assessments, you actually work for one of our clients and that is PG&E for a little bit. Uh, what was the uh, stop there and what were you doing for them for a bit? Right. You mentioned the early 2000s. I graduated from business school in 2001. So I got, it was a fascinating time because I started in 1999 in the height of that arrogance that you talked about. And I graduated in 2001 as the economy was declining and then ultimately 9-11 happened and I was looking for a job. It was a very challenging time for me looking for a job at that point and had an opportunity to go work at PG&E. PG&E was bankrupt at the time and they were looking at how to reorganize and restructure and emerge from bankruptcy. And I had the opportunity to go support them in that process on the operational side, not the financial restructuring, but the operations. What would it look like operationally for this company to emerge from bankruptcy and what kind of changes would need to take place? So it was actually quite a great opportunity. And I spent a few years there. But when they emerged from bankruptcy, I discovered that it was PG&E as a regulated utility, their incentive is to keep the lights on, rightfully so, because that's what we all want as customers. And it was not as progressive and innovative as the kind of place that I wanted to work. And that's how I ultimately made the shift over to Apple. Mm, mm. Now, um, you take engineering and then you head to Apple into finance. Now, how does that happen? Because I don't, uh, unless was your MBA in accounting or, or in finance? No, I had a general, I had a general MBA, uh, but I, when I first moved to Apple, I moved into their supply chain group. So it was a analytical role in the planning, basically the interface of how much, what is our demand and what is our supply? So how much forecasting demand and then building the appropriate amount of product in order to meet that demand. I, so I started, I started there, which was an analytical kind of role in supply chain, and then ultimately I moved over to finance. So how did you get this job at Apple to start with? I mean, you're coming from the Midwest and you're moving over to the West Coast. I imagine that's where the job was. Uh, so uh, how did that happen? I was living here in California at the time. I moved out here when I came to Stanford. And, you know, I think it's really a testament to when you really want something, you get creative in how to find it. 
Apple at that time, this was 2005, it was well before the iPhone was launched. The iPod was taking off as one of the greatest products, uh, consumer products. So that dates me a little bit. But it was, um, you know, it was, I, I knew someone who worked there and it just, you know, Steve Jobs had moved back there and Apple was being innovative and creative and, and shaping the industry. And it's something I wanted to be a part of. So I, you know, I networked, I found connections there. I did all the traditional things that you would hear someone advise you to do, but I was very focused. And that was the, really the only company I was interviewing with. And I was clear that that's what I wanted to do. And that energy came through and I got the job. Hmm, cool. Cool. So then how did you move from uh, doing sort of operations over to finance? How, give, take us through that step. Sure. Yes. Well, I loved operations. Uh, I loved the problem solving of it. I love the fast pace. And I looked at my boss and I looked at his boss and I looked at her boss. So the next three levels above me, none of them had a family. It was not unusual to get emails at you know five or six in the morning and nine or 10 at night. And I just looked at that and I had a young son and I said, I like this work, but I don't see this as something that I'm going to be successful at long-term uh, because of the, because of the hours and the demands at that time. And that was really the, the, one of the main motivating factors for me in, in switching over to finance. Mm. And then how did that opportunity come about? Well, I, you know, f fortunately, I had, a, I had a lot of support inside the company because I was, I was doing good work and I was progressing through the company. And so my boss at the time actually told me about the opportunity and supported me in making the move. Oh, cool. Cool. Now, how old is your son now? He's 13. And uh, now does he uh, live with you or does he live with mom or is this a shared experience or? It's shared. He's with both of us. Yeah. Oh, cool. And that's going okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it's great, okay. and he's he's wonderful. Well, <laughs> as our uh, children are, as you know, <laughs> of course. As dads, uh, yeah, I get the biased. I get it. it. Hey, that's fine, uh, and that's always um, important to make sure that that relationship uh, continues. So, what did you learn being in charge of sort of finances or responsible finances at Apple that really could help? I mean, one of the things we want to do at Secrets of Success in addition to your journey and your story, <clears throat> excuse me, is, you know, what did you learn that people that are listening can apply to their lives immediately? You know, one of the things that, that I really took away from that experience was being willing to step out and take a stance and lead something. You know, it's, especially as you're, as you're coming up through an organization, oftentimes you're taking direction from other people. And at a certain point, that starts to transition and people take direction from you. And it requires a willingness to be clear about what's important, what you believe is going to shape the business and create success, and then to step forward and do it. And there's a real, uh, it's a real change in mindset. And, you know, Ken, one of the things I talk about in my coaching is our inner technology, and that's our thoughts and beliefs that drive our behaviors and decisions. And coming from this organization that valued success, success often was, sorry, from a family that valued success, and that had been my lifestyle up to that point, success is often uh, in the eyes of other people and because it requires promotions and raises and that kind of thing, which are evaluations from other people. And it starts to be, you know, there, there reaches a point in your career where you have to transition that to say, well, what do I believe is success? And what do I believe is important? And how do I go and drive that? So it really to be seen more as a leader rather than as someone who's just implementing or following. 
Mm -hmm. And what else could you share from that experience? I mean, that's a pretty significant position that you were in uh, with Apple, but what were some of the other dynamics that you would be able to share with the audience? Oh, some of the, I would say the, the biggest challenge is it was a global role that I had. And so I was responsible for interfacing and collaborating with people all over the world and getting, understanding the, the dynamics in each of those markets and making partnerships with them and finding those points of alignment so that we could be successful together. Um, that was, that was a challenge. Uh, that was something that was, you know, both it required time investment, it required relationship building. And it was, it was something that was challenging as we were working to make changes and move the business forward to make sure that we carried everybody along with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Now you shared, and I appreciate you being vulnerable, sharing about, you know, your personal situation that said after going through the separation and then divorce, that that drove you to leave Apple. Take us through that as much as you're willing to uh, for the audience about we have the success and I appreciate your comment because here at CRG we say the same thing. You get to define what success is. Uh, but what sort of contributed to this condition and then what triggered you to say I need to take a different path? I, I wouldn't say that the, the divorce was the wasn't the causing factor for me to leave Apple, but it definitely caused me to because it felt like a, that felt like a, the biggest failure that I had achieved, that I had realized in my life at that point. And because of that, I, I made it through it. I survived. And what I learned from that was, you know, even failures don't have to define or destroy me. I can continue to learn and grow through that process. And I did learn and grow through that process. And one of the things I learned was the value of being able to have a support network and talk to people about what's working and what's not working and my fears and my strengths and my failures and just really have an open conversation with people. There was a huge value for me in that. It never occurred to me that that could be my business though, because again, because of the way I had grown up, I, you know, my dad worked for a big company, as you noted, and he was there for 35 years. His philosophy was find a good company and stick with it. Mm. And so that's what I had done up to that point. I had worked for GE for five years. I've worked for Apple for 13 and a half years. Many, you know, I had long tenure and I could have stayed there. But when I had the idea that, wow, maybe I could actually build a business around having these kinds of important conversations and providing a, a structure and a support network for people to have that conversation and actually be coached through difficult situations or to coach through upgrades of their life to achieve the next level of success as they define it. That was for me what really cracked open the opportunity to become a coach. And at that point, once I figured out I could actually do this for a living, then I moved pretty quickly into taking the steps to do that. Mm. You know, when you think about it though, Rusty, um, and I'm just playing the devil's advocate on behalf of the audience, secure position, probably well paid at Apple, step out into this void, if you may, of entrepreneurship. Uh, what were some of the thoughts that you went through <laughs> during this transition to say, oh my goodness, I, that's exactly what it was. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was, I was uh, quite nervous about it. Not only financially, but you know, so much of my life had been really all of my career up until that point had been working at big companies. So this was, I had never really contemplated the idea of going off and starting my own business up until then. 
So all sorts of worries about, will I make enough money? Will I be successful? What happens if it doesn't work out? I had all of these concerns and fears. And that, you know, that one of the, one of the ideas of this, of our inner technology, which is the way we think about these things, is really to ask yourself, well, what are you more afraid of? Are you more afraid of failure? And so therefore, I'm going to stay at Apple and keep doing what I've been doing. Or am I more afraid of reaching the end of my life and looking back and regretting that I hadn't done this. And I, you know, thinking about it from that perspective, I just imagine myself as 80 years old, looking back at this point in my life and saying, well, what should I do as an 80 year old version of rusty? What, what advice would I give? Would I give the advice to stay there and play it safe? Or would I give the advice to go give it a shot? And the answer was, crystal clear, go give it a shot, even if it fails completely. And I end up knocking back on the door of Apple saying, will you take me back? It still had been, would have been a worthwhile journey. Mm. Well, I think what you're talking about, you know, as a fellow coach and, and consultant and teaching other coaches, I think you have a, this is a very important sort of point or pivotal point to talk about for individuals is, you know, when you're coaching now, what are some, I'll call it roadblocks that people have that don't cause them to kind of step over the ledge, if you may, and, and maybe not think about the regret. But you've now been coaching individuals for a while and you've had some clients. What are you finding is causing their hesitation or their lack of taking this step into this new land for themselves? Well, you know, it's really, it's like the, the fish who doesn't know he's swimming in water. It's, it's, it's people who have been in a certain way of seeing the world because that's how they were raised. That's the way their family was. That's just their assumptions. So similar to what I described about my assumption about success and working at big companies and finding a good company and sticking with it. Those were, those weren't necessarily rational, deliberate choices that I made, but they definitely drove my decision-making. So one of the biggest roadblocks, back to your question, is helping people to see where are you limiting yourself based on the assumptions you're making. Because you have to step out of your, you know, I, I talk about this in terms of an operating system. And, you know, we're all familiar with upgrading the operating system on our phone or a computer on our various devices. And of course, you, is, Rusty, you had to make that reference coming from Apple. So it was just, it was just absolutely. a natural thing. <laughs> As I and smile and I say, make that comment. Yes. Uh, and this is, you know, this is one of those upgrades is, but in order to do an upgrade, you have to step out of your existing operating system because it's like the fish in the water. You can't see that you're in the water. Uh, and just like I couldn't see that I had this belief that I could never get paid to do what I thought was meaningful, important, which is to, to, to have these meaningful, important conversations with people. I had that assumption. And once I realized that that assumption was driving my behavior, it gave me the freedom to say, hmm, I could actually change that. And what if I could get paid instead of assuming I can't get paid to do this kind of work? And it's you know, realizing and seeing some of those assumptions, articulating them, bringing them into a rational discussion and say, well, is that true? And just being able to then shift that and evaluate it, it really frees up the ability for, uh, for people to take steps in their lives that up until that point, either they thought were impossible or they didn't even hit the radar because again, like the fish in the water, they didn't even realize it was a choice they were making. Mm. So when people are reaching out to you and getting coaching, 
what's usually the trigger point for them to take this step to engage you? In other words, what was it that's going on? They said, you know what, whatever I'm doing is not working the way I'd like. I'm maybe not sure where I'm supposed to go, but what's usually the tipping point for people? There's really three primary entry points and they're all career related for the most part. I, I, know I, do, I do coaching work in other areas besides career, but most people come to me because of career. And the, the three points are, one is people are working like crazy and they just, they don't have any time because all they're doing is working and they're, they're on the edge of burning out. The second is people who know that they're not doing what they ultimately want to do, but they don't know what it is that they want to do. So they're in this kind of feeling a little bit stuck and lost. And the third category is people who are bored. They just say, you know, I, I feel like I'm bored with my life because it's not, it's not, all the pieces aren't fitting together in a way that's really energizing and fulfilling for them. So those three areas are the primary ways that people, people come into my work. So I just want to stop for a moment and talk to the listeners and say, okay, so Rusty's framed out three things or conditions that might actually relate to you. So if you're working so much that you don't have a life, you know, we talk about the word balance and balance is defined by you. But if you being consumed by work and work's not serving you, uh, if you are not really enjoying what you're doing, you're feeling a little stuck, but you're trying to look at clarity, or as you said, um, Rusty, I'm doing this job, I'm doing it in my sleep, but I'm, I'm just bored, I'm not feeling energized. So I'm just speaking to the audience members, if you're going through that, then there could be an opportunity for you to do an upgrade to your uh, system. So now I've called you, Rusty, and first of all, how do you actually filter through to figure out what I believe right now? We get to that, but we get to it a little bit indirectly because, you know, one of the places I always like to start, and it's really the first step in the, the five-step coaching work that I go through, but the first step is all about what is it that you want? If we were wildly successful and you came out of this saying, oh my gosh, that was the best investment I've ever made in my life. I am so happy with where I am as a result. What would your life look like? So we, we start there, and in the course of that conversation, people actually articulate either directly or indirectly some of the assumptions that they make. You know, I'll mm -hmm. just give you an example. A client that I was working with not long ago was talking about what he, the kind of work he really wanted to do. He said, oh, but there's so many trade-offs in that. Like, I, you know, I probably couldn't live where I wanted to live. I think I would have to earn less money than I'm earning now. So, you know, they, people, a lot of my clients will articulate those things. And when, if you're paying attention and this is, you can, it's possible to do for yourself, but it's difficult to do for yourself, which is why it's so much more powerful to have someone supporting you in this process. But as a good listener, I hear those things. I say, Oh, interesting. So you're assuming that you're going to have to take a pay cut to do the work that you want to do. Well, what if you didn't have to take a pay cut to do more meaningful work? Because once you, if you make the assumption you never look for the exception. You just assume that that's the way it is and you just take it as at face value. But if you poke at that a little bit and you say, well, hold on a minute, let's explore that assumption. What are the ways in which you could actually have what you want without the sacrifice? It just changes our, our approach and our thinking and we start to get more creative and we start to explore possibilities. And it's, it, that's really the opening of the door to shifting some of those beliefs that we've been talking about. Mm. You know, even Covey, who I met 
in person in the 80s. Um, Kenneth Blanchard has endorsed some of our books as well. So now I'm dating myself, Rusty. So he, I mean, when he wrote the book End in Mind, uh, that was part of that premise way back, you know, 30 years ago, is we let's start with the end first and then let's figure out how we're going to get there. Absolutely. And most people make their end too small. They craft their end based on what they think they can accomplish. And a big part of the work that I do is to, again, to, you have to step out of your operating system your, because your operating system is your inherent constraints about what you think you can and cannot do, about what is logical in the world and what's possible in the world and your place in the world. And I'd like to think, you know, some of the, some of the ideas that people come up with, you say, well, and all the, you know, the millions of people in this country and the billions of people in this world and all the infinite ways this world could evolve, could there be at least one possibility that these things could come together in a way that it's possible and it's possible for you. And it's very hard for people to say no to that, right? It's like, mm. can you say with no, with a hundred percent certainty that it's impossible for you to achieve what you want? So part of the work that I do is really helping people expand their sense of what's possible and stretch their imagination a little bit to really lean into what is that? When you start with the end in mind, what is the end? And, and craft the end in a way that is actually energizing and fulfilling to you. Mm, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. As an author of the book, The Quest for Purpose, that's one of the things we want people to do. So what really energizes you? But one of the words you used in your submission to our podcast, uh, Rusty, was this word constraint. And this idea that we have some limiting beliefs and limiting items. How do you help people to break free of those to really go to what might be possible? Two parts of it. The first part is about helping people to understand that we all inherently have constraints. We, that's, that's just part of our, part of our operating system. It's, that's, it's the way we operate and view the world. And that's normal. And so the first part is to help people just say, hey, would you be willing to step outside of your existing operating system for just 90 seconds, three minutes, and take, that, take those 90 seconds or three minutes to brainstorm. And brainstorm, you know, turn your life satisfaction dial up from, you know, most of us say it's a six or a seven or an eight. Well, what if you turn it up to a nine or a 10? Or what if you even busted through what you think is possible and you turn it up to an 11 out of 10? So just encouraging people to, to stretch their imagination. So that, that's a really important piece mm. about, uh, about breaking through some of these, these constraints and through the, uh, the, the uh, limitations that we all inherently or the constraints we all inherently have on what we think is possible. Mm, the, sure. the second piece, though, is getting back to what I, what I mentioned just a few minutes earlier is once you have that idea, normally once the existing operating system kicks back in, we get into all sorts of doubts and skepticisms. Oh, well, I had that idea, but it's impossible. I'll never get that, or it's not for me. I could never have that. So the, 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 the second really important piece of this is to notice what you're telling yourself and to notice, am I operating from my existing kind of prevalent operating system, which has some inherent constraints and limitations, or am I stretching and upgrading and, and looking at the sense of possibility? Because that mindset or that, that foundation on which you're approaching any problem is, is critical. If you're, if you're operating from your existing mindset and say it's impossible, well, you're never even going to try it. So instead, to, to focus on what might be, might be possible and to explore that. Mm. 
Absolutely. So you talked about a five-step process. So the first step being the end in mind or the end first or what you want to really, really achieve first without constraints. What are the other steps to your system? Yeah, so the second step is to make a decision. Now, you know, decision is, is we often take that word kind of lightly about, you know, well, I've decided I'm going to do, I'm going to work out. But when it gets hard, what do you do? Yeah, well, maybe I'm not that committed to it. And we, we often tend to slip back onto old patterns of behavior. So when I talk about decision, I'm talking about like making a real commitment and a decision for yourself that you're going to move forward. So this can be often, you know, people talk about grit or persistence or other words like that, but this is really the, you know, I'm making an empowered decision. So that's the second step. The third step is really about upgrading. And this is about upgrading your, your assumptions and beliefs about life. So that's what we've been talking about here is, you know, one key element is to focus on what's possible rather than on all the problems. That's another, that's a tool you can use to help in that upgrade. The fourth step is to pay attention. I'm just going to stop you there for a second. In, um, in, sorry to interrupt you, Rusty, just for the listeners' benefits, you're coaching me. What are some other things you do to help me to upgrade and release, I'll call it past constraints or belief systems to move into this new level? What are some other things that you might do with me in a coaching session? So a couple, other, a couple of other tools that I use is one is just, again, shift where our attention and our focus goes because we our experience in life is driven by where we put our attention. And most of us tend to focus on what we do not have as opposed to what we do have. So one simple tool that we can, we can employ is, a, is a helping people to focus on their, the abundance of their life that they're in today. And, you know, I talk about this in just a very simple way. And you think about how easy our life here is in the Western world, that when you wake up in the morning, you can brush your teeth and you have toothpaste and you have a toothbrush and you have running water and you have hot running water. You know, all of these things that most of us never think twice about, but all they they are all contributors to making an easy and wonderful life. And when you start to think about that, even in the little things like your toothpaste, you start to bring that same kind of mentality even to these bigger problems or these bigger challenges, like how am I going to accomplish this work goal that I have? Well, instead of focusing on all the things you don't have, you're going to start noticing, oh, well, there's a lot of resources I have. I know people and I have skills and I've, you know, I can reach out and network. So all of these things start to become more natural and it's just about shifting our attention and our focus from what we don't have to what we do have. So that, that's another example of, you know, a tool that we can use to help people shift and shift their attention and shift their experience and really in the process upgrade their operating system. Thanks. So back to number four. Number four is to pay attention. And paying attention is really about just noticing what, where, what operating system you're coming from. Are you coming from your old sense of beliefs or are you coming from a new and upgraded perspective? Because it's so easy when we run into the first challenge to just go back to, oh, I told you this was going to be difficult or it's impossible for me and to give up. Or are you going to come from a new perspective of, again, saying, well, challenges happen to everybody. Think about Thomas Edison or the, the Wright brothers building an airplane or, you know, Jeff Bezos or uh, Steve Jobs, who was fired from his own company. People have challenges and failures and it doesn't have to stop progress. So you know, paying attention is the fourth step. And then the fifth step is consistent, imperfect action. 
Uh, as you know, Ken, that you 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 got to be moving forward. You got to be moving for feet because you can't steer a parked car. Um, so it's you know it may not be perfect, but you got to keep moving. Mm. Well, this idea of consistent uh, momentum or movement uh, is so important. How do you help your clients keep that momentum or that consistent implementation? Well, this is another one of those those huge values of being in a, a structure of support. So where there's a structure, where there's consistency, where there's a mentor, all of those things help tremendously. Um, I think we all know just the, the simple act of accountability is if you share with somebody else what your goals are, then all it takes is just to recognize that they may ask me about it. So I'm going to follow through on that. Or, you know, I know for me, if I'm going to go out, decide I'm going to go running regularly in the morning, if I'm meeting somebody for that run, I'm way more likely to get out of bed than if it's just up to me. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the structure, the accountability, having a partner, somebody to work with all makes a huge difference in terms of taking consi- consistent action. So let's say I'm I'm listening, and of course, obviously, I can engage you, Rusty, as a coach and, and hire you, but if I'm looking for some accountability groups or some people to connect with in this space, uh, how do I even, where, where do I even look or begin for looking for some support or a networking group or accountability partners? And so I think that's a great question. I think for, for most people, you know, I, and this was the case for me too, is, is I didn't know where to look when I first started this journey and I didn't know how to find that. Uh, so I really encourage people I'm, to use social media can be a really powerful way to do this. I am not very active on Facebook, I am, but I am very active on LinkedIn. And so, you know, if you're looking for someone to uh, be a part of a network, connect with me on LinkedIn and uh I'm connected with a bunch of people. And so you'll, you'll find yourself surrounded by a bunch of like-minded people. And through that, you can obviously in, engage on social media. And perhaps if there's people on that platform that you resonate with, you can, you can take that offline and form a separate offline relationship as well. Mm. So Rusty, uh, you know, we just have a few minutes left. <clears throat> if people want to find out more about what you're doing in your process, how might they do that? The easiest way to do that would be on LinkedIn. I'm Rusty Gaylord, and you can uh, I, you should get the spelling of my last name from the uh, from the show notes because it's not intuitive. Uh, so find me on LinkedIn, and that's the best way. Um, the my website is also uh, is another place to connect with me. That's svdreambuilders.com. That stands for Silicon Valley Dreambuilders.com. You know what? I didn't. Uh, I was looking at it. I said, "What was the SV?" So thank you for answering that for me. So that now I've got. It. And by the way, Rusty's last name is spelled G A I L L A R D. If you're trying to look it up, and then of course you can press uh, press repeat. Now you also have a gift that you're talking about to get five hours in your week or something like that. What's what's that? Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, I, I mentioned that there's, there's people kind of come to me in three different ways. And one of those ways is people who are overwhelmed and working very hard. And I've taken some of the content out of my paid coaching work and built it into a short masterclass that I'm offering. And I'm actually offering that on uh, later this month in January, and then I'll be, I'll be doing it again in February. So you can check out my website to get information on that, but that's free. It's a free masterclass on how to get five hours back in your week. So this is a, um, this is a, a, a great opportunity. And for those of you who attend the masterclass and, and get some value out of it and want to take it further, I'm happy to do a, a direct one-on-one session with you to just tune that up. Mm, and then we'll have the, uh, 
uh, link to that gift in the show notes on whatever platform you're listening on. So we'll make sure that that's there for you. So, you know, Rusty, thanks for being with us today. So before we close, what would be your encouragement to listeners who, you know, they're thinking, they're, they're unsettled, they know that there's more, and I'm just kind of, I don't want to use the word stuck, but just kind of in limbo. What would your encouragement to be to the listeners that are going through any of that, or maybe they have a friend who's going through that? Yeah, my encouragement really is to reach out and talk to someone about giving you some support in moving through that. Uh, whether that's me or somebody else, you know, the the value of having someone who's an expert in this, who can guide you through that process and who can help you achieve your next level of success. First of all, conceive it exactly what it is and then to achieve it is invaluable and it's the best investment that you can make in your life. If you think about, you know, upgrading your happiness two or three or four or five notches, what's the value of that? You can't even put a number on it. So the, the time investment of any financial investment that is, that's required, um, I'm just a believer has, you know, multiple, multiple paybacks because of the, the huge value in doing it. So I really encourage, encourage any, any of your listeners who are feeling like they're in that place, like they want more, or there's something missing in their life to, to reach out to me, to reach out to someone else you've met who does this kind of work, but somebody who can support you and guide you through that process. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Rusty, for that. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, the last stats is, it's really not too positive, meaning about 80 to 90% of people are in that mindset where they know that there's an upgrade that's needed. I like that word. Uh, and there's a fine tuning to the life so they can realize their potential and their purpose. So Rusty uh, Gillard, thank you for uh, hanging out with us today. Oh, Ken, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, stay with us, Rusty. So go to Rusty's website, svdreambuilders.com, or go visit him on LinkedIn. And it's another space that we're active in. And so my encouragement, Rusty's talked about, you know what? You only have one life. If not now, when? When will you do it? And it's not that you're being self-centered. You're self-honoring. Your highest level of contribution is when you're in the zone, doing what you love, doing what you enjoy. And sometimes that does mean leaving a safety net like Rusty did from abandoning Apple in, in a sort of a fictitious way and saying, you know what, there's another way that I can contribute that can have more meaning. So if you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening to. And thank you again for sharing your most valuable commodity, your time with us today. You've been listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.